Welcome to our Simply Sustainability podcast presented by Clarisys. In this series, we look at what can sometimes be the intimidating topic of sustainability and break it down into digestible, bite-sized chunks to help you on your way to a more sustainable future. In today's podcast, I'm absolutely delighted to be talking to Meryn Haynes-Gad, a research fellow at the University of Exeter, specialising in the circular economy. And she will be joined by Jacob from Clarisys. Clarisys have been working really closely with the University of Exeter to conduct research on the topic we're going to discuss today. And we're super excited to launch our design toolkit in April, which I'll share more on at the end. So let's start with some introductions. I'm Harriet and I'm a CX lead at Clarisys. Merrin? Hi, I'm Dr. Merrin Haynes-Gad. I'm a research fellow out of the Exeter Centre for Circular Economy. And I generally conduct research that helps companies to improve the sustainability and the circularity of their products and services. Thanks, Merrin. Jacob? Hey, I'm Jacob Brockman and I am a consultant at Clarisys. Thanks, guys. So our focus for today's discussion is working through what customer experience means in a circular world. Customer experience or CX and the idea of putting the customer at the heart of design, it's been around for a long time, it's a well-established mindset. Some questions we have for today, does that customer-centric mindset still work in a circular world? Do tried and tested methods that might be familiar with CX practitioners apply in circular design? Where are the challenges or tensions between CX and circular? And how do organizations bring these disciplines together in a way that delivers an experience customers buy into, but also meets an organization's circular ambitions? So I guess the first part of our discussion before we tackle those big questions is just to set the scene on this idea of moving away from linear to circular models. So we collectively believe that circular is a global imperative. Can we, and and without taking up the entire podcast, I appreciate it's a big topic, just briefly outline for listeners what we understand to be the reasons for this. I think I could probably jump in with that one to start out with. So generally what we're seeing is that there's a lot of like fluctuating material prices as well as a lot of supply issues that have been caused by the pandemic and and the war. There's also a lot of increased urgency from sort of the climate change community to act. And we're seeing as that's kind of being filtered down into things like regulation. So governments are starting to, you know, outline kind of standards and rules that companies need to follow. And I think the last thing that I would have put here is that there seems to be a bit of an increased demand from customers. So, you know, the drive for environmentalism has been around since about the 70s. And so like 50 years on where, you know, these ideas are now starting to finally permeate in sort of the general consciousness. So, yeah, we're seeing industries, governments, consumers are all, you know, becoming a little bit more switched on to what it means to be sustainable. And we feel, at least from our perspective at the University of Exeter, is that the circular economy is a really great framework that can help us to meet these carbon goals and to act and live in a, in a more sustainable way. I think you've put that so well there. I love that point on customer demand. So if you're not doing it, it's likely that your competition will be, which is really key for people to be thinking about. Great. So Let's now try and tackle our bigger question today. So should the customer be at the heart of the design of circular initiatives? Let's break it down a little bit. My first question to you both is, 
what is the case for the customer being considered in the design of circular initiatives? And can we just lift and shift the customer mindset and the ways we see that in the practice of design today to the design of circular initiatives? I'm happy to kick off on that one, Harriet. The way that I probably approach this question is that the thing that I keep coming back to is that the fundamental assumption of our research is that we need to move to a circular economy, right? And in that sense, the way that we think about the customer does shift a little bit. We go from thinking about the customer, I guess, as an end goal to the customer as an enabler for circularity. And I think that really is quite a significant shift and we need to be cognizant of that. We, you know, we need to be conscious in calling out that that's a different way that we're approaching the problem, right? I think what's really fascinating about a lot of circular business models is that they require customers to take on new roles and behaviors. And there is a shift from customers just as users or consumers as a product to actually being stewards and maintainers of value of products and resources. And I think that's a really fascinating shift, right? So the key CX challenge, I guess, in that context becomes how do we get customers to take on these new behaviors that are required of them under circular models? And that's a fascinating challenge, right? That's a different way of thinking about CX and it's a different way of thinking about sustainability as well. What would you guys say the risks are associated with not considering the customer? Why not just design circular initiatives? Well, yeah, if I could add to that, I think basically there's no use in designing, you know, the most perfect circular product or service that nobody wants to use or wants to own. That is a waste in itself. And, you know, we have seen a number of different circular products and services hit the market and either fail or just remain as kind of small pilots for very particular situations. Just to sort of couple that with what Jacob was saying is that, you know, a lot of this comes down to the fact that circular products and services need to compete with linear products and services on the market. And our linear products and services have been designed to be easy and convenient and disposable. And, you know, he's right about these roles and responsibilities and behaviours and stuff, because fundamentally consumer behaviours are a response to the systems that have been designed around us. We use and we consume and we discard stuff because we are being guided to do so by companies, by the infrastructure that, that sits around us. We need to be aware of that and coming back to the risks around that. I think a lot of that is about that we're not moving fast enough and that the planet is going to suffer. Ultimately, we will suffer as the planet suffers. But also, you know, there will be companies that will be doing this and they will be the first to market. They were the ones who will be adopting or capturing those customers that want these kinds of products and services as, as well. I think I'd just jump in quickly and add to that, Maren, I think, and specifically to address that risk point that you brought up, Harriet, I think there's a real risk with the design of a lot of circular initiatives, and this is probably something that's true of sustainability initiatives in, in general, that the people who are responsible for sustainability in the organization are not necessarily talking to the people who are leading on customers and CX. And one thing that's quite common with circular initiatives is people start to worry about how things are going to work on the back end, and they don't think so much about what the reality is going to be for the customer. And when you're not able to join that thinking up, there's a huge risk there, right? Because 
quite obviously, if the initiatives aren't acceptable to the customer, then they're not going to fly. They're not going to be successful. We're not going to achieve our goals from a customer standpoint, and, and we're certainly not going to achieve them from a circular standpoint either. Yeah. And, and that actually leads quite nicely, I suppose, into my next question. It sounds like we're in agreement that the customer is important, but it's not the only important consideration. So we've got these two mindsets then. We've got customer mindset, we've got circular mindset. How do we bring those together? What comes first? Is it customer? Is it circular? I think it's really interesting. It's trying to find balance, right? And so uh, at least from my sustainability perspective, I always feel that we, you know, we are expanding who we're designing things for. Customer is king, isn't that the expression? That like what the customer wants is what we need to be providing for. But that is what has caused us to get into the situation to begin with. So we now need to be expanding and understanding, you know, the wider stakeholder perspective around this and creating this balance between providing value, meeting the needs of consumers, while at the same time not actively harming or being wasteful in the way that we're doing it. I'd absolutely agree with that, Marin. And I think, again, to try and answer the question of what comes first, I think it's not so much about one coming before the other, but the two enabling each other. As we were talking about before, the customer enables circularity in the sense that you know, they're required to take on new behaviors. So if we're talking about a refill scheme, then the customer needs to obviously engage with that refillable package, bring it back, whatever those roles are that's required of them. But circularity can also offer new experiences to the customer. We've seen lots of really interesting examples of that throughout our research. I guess our role as CX designers or people who are designing circular initiatives is to think about how we can have that as a value exchange that flows freely between the customer and circularity. Those are things that can work together. Yeah, I really love that, Jacob. And you're right. We have heard that in our research, I guess, building a new relationship with either your existing customer or new customers that haven't been interested in your proposition before is, is a really exciting prospect for organizations that they should definitely be leaning into. Just to push a little bit more, I guess, on combining those two mindsets are there any aspects of either that are kind of no go can't be touched or the red lines for when these mindsets are combined I don't know if I've got a necessarily a no go I mean there are certain you know environmental lines that we definitely shouldn't <laughs> but you know it, it's one of those things that I suppose we've talked about this before about this being a bit of a you're trying to find the innovation sweet spot between all these different factors viability feasibility desirability circularity and that that creates a bit of this tension we're trying to meet all these different demands but i think that tension is really interesting and i think it's a really amazing opportunity for innovation you know we really need to be seeing circularity as an opportunity to make better products and services it's easy to design something that provides a kind of one-off transient experience that then you forget about and you dispose of but to design something that provides a long-lasting, meaningful experience that endures with you over and over again, that is something that maintains and moves your life for a long time, is to me what I think good design is all about. Mm. And that we need to be pushing these boundaries a little bit, but really embracing the challenge. And I think calling out to designers, people who design things, to just really push it a bit further, I'd say. I don't know if that answers your question. Jacob, have you got anything to add? I think that's a pretty awesome answer. I might leave that one, actually. I'm happy to, 
to start with Marin for that one. And what I like about what you said, Marin, and it sounds like organizations now have to factor in both of those mindsets. But actually, you're talking about quite um a revolution in innovation and design, like a real opportunity to start doing this better and designing better things. It does feel as with any sort of revolution, transformation, it feels like quite a fundamental change. What are organizations doing to make that shift? What have we seen from our research and from organizations we've been talking to? I'd be happy to jump in on this one. I think from my perspective, organizations that are doing circularity well are doing two things. I think the first one is that they are approaching the circular economy as an opportunity to capture new markets, to design new experiences for their customers. And in doing that, have a really clear understanding of what the link is between the customer segment that they're targeting and what their circular value proposition is for that specific customer segment. For example, one of the participants in our research was a large department store and they had really tailored their occasion wear rental to a sort of younger demographic, they saw that as an opportunity for them to break into a sort of younger customer group. But other circular initiatives like mattress return were something that was quite relevant and quite appealing to their maybe older customer base who didn't even necessarily have that much of a vested interest in sustainability or circularity. So I think that's an interesting point. And at the risk of monologuing, I said there was two points. So I'll say the second one. I think organizations that are doing circularity well are thinking about circularity more widely than just as a communication problem. I think there's a tendency to just lament the fact that customers don't care about sustainability or they don't care or they don't understand what the circular economy is. But I think if if we're just going to wait for customers to catch up in that sense or try and drill the message into them, then I'm not actually sure we're ever going to get to where we need to be. And a lot of the outcome of our research, and I think we'll probably touch on this later, is trying to think about some of the other levers that we can pull on to drive customer behavior change that don't just rely on the customers caring about sustainability in order for us to enable circular business models. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. And I think one of the things that you see is this idea that it's put, it's that idea of responsibility again, pushing the responsibility of the circularity of the product to the customer and saying, we're doing everything we can. If only our customers would change their behavior, everything would be fine. And that's just a bit of a cop out. And we see that with a lot of other you know companies we talk to and, and we see it as being you know something that is, I think sometimes uses a little bit of an excuse. And so what we feel that organizations need to be doing is is having a better understanding of what really behavior change is, how they can help their customers to be thinking differently about their own behaviors and what their role is in enabling these behaviors. Because, you know, as Jacob said, it's a value exchange. So what is everybody's part in making this possible? And I think the companies that are really embracing that and thinking about it meaningfully are the ones that are sort of leading the way. That's really nice that the behavioral change aspect is for both of you. You've mentioned that as being really important. I was going to ask a little bit about approaches, methods, tools that we might commonly see in innovation. And obviously, this is a big part of the work we've been doing to develop our toolkit. 
how does behavior change tie into the methods approaches that people might be using? What changes about the approach in design? I'm happy to take that one. It's probably useful at this point to talk about one of the key behavior change frameworks that we have used in our research and that we're using in our circular economy toolkit as well, which is the combi model. What the combi model is, is it's a behavior change framework, which essentially posits that there's three main levers that drive behavior change. And those are firstly capability. So that can be physical or psychological, and that's got to do with a customer's skills to perform a certain task. So for example, if you have a, a refill scheme in supermarket, do they understand how that works? Or will they have the psychological capability to remember to bring the container back at the end of the journey? The second thing is O, so opportunity. Does the customer have the relevant opportunity? So for example, is there a refill store near enough to their home that they can use. Then the last thing is motivation. So is the customer motivated to engage with that product or service? So again, to summarize combi, so capability, opportunity, and motivation. And yeah, I'll pause there because I think Marin, you could probably expand on that in a, in a better way than I did. No, no, that was a really, really great overview of the approach. And I mean, there's so many different behavior change models that have been developed in the last sort of 20 years. There's the FOG model that is often used in CX as well and, and in behavior change stuff. There's a load of different kind of design models that we see where people are using things like emotion to drive change in behaviors. But I think the truth is that the different model you'll need will depend on the context with which you're designing it. And we're seeing different people use different things. But for us, we've selected Combi because we felt this is something that has been used a lot in the health service. It's been used generally because it enables long-term behavior change, which, you know, really helps to develop new and different habits. And they've seen it kind of really work within the health service. So this is one of the reasons why we selected this model in particular. I suppose we've talked about that in that shift that organizations need to make. We've obviously been talking about circularity, CX practitioners, skill sets. We then started to talk about behavioral change. There's quite a lot of disciplines now coming together. Do you see organizations as being set up with the right skills, the right people to do this? Are organizations prepared for this shift? Yeah, absolutely. And I think in terms of like organizations or whether or not they've got those kinds of skills, I think we're seeing as academics and as an education organization, we do a lot of training. We train a lot of companies in different spaces. We train designers, we train people in marketing, lots of technical people. And I think just generally as it goes forward, most companies, specialisms and thinking is always a bit siloed just because of the way organizations are arranged. People only think and operate inside particular product lines or inside particular departments. And what's interesting about the circular economy and circular products and services is that we need to be designing these more complex systems that involve way more people. You're not just selling a product that goes out to somebody and then it sits in their home and job's done. When you're selling a product now that perhaps might need maintenance contracts or a dedicated service team to talk you through how to repair it or where to send it if you need to get it repaired or how to send it back, things like that. And so I think what we're seeing, there's a few companies that are doing really interesting things. I know Philips have an internal team that upskill their people on, on economy and circularity. 
And we still do a lot of training with them as well. But there are companies that are starting to really upskill their knowledge and capabilities around the economy, but it'll just take time. Yeah. And it's a real shift for companies where they have been working possibly in those separate functions, teams, departments in a more siloed way, just bringing people together. It's not natural potentially for that collaboration to happen. There's a skills piece, but there's a collaboration piece of where do people come in? How do people work? What's their responsibilities within this new type of design process? I think that that's a really underthought part of this problem, actually. Jacob, do you have something to add? Just really quickly on that, Harry, I think it's a great point that there's a tension there and there's a sort of feeling of it's a bit uncomfortable. Like these are people talking to each other who probably don't usually collaborate that much within an organization. But again, that comes back to this whole point that there's an opportunity, right? Like that's a real productive tension. That's a real opportunity for innovation and new conversations and yeah, exciting new ways of approaching business models, customers, whatever it may be. I mean, we ran a workshop a couple of weeks ago where we had a situation just like that, right? We brought together people from all over the organization that worked in very different departments from things that were very customer focused to things that were quite technical or or very specific to sustainability. And it was a really fruitful conversation, right? Because there's a tension there, but there's also new ideas that flow out of that, which I think was awesome. Great. I love that positive message, Jacob. Thank you. Um, So moving into kind of our final discussion, as a reminder, our starting question for today's discussion was, should the customer be at the heart of the design of circular initiatives? And we've talked about the coming together of customer and circular mindsets and how they need to be balanced throughout the design. I'd now like to talk a little bit about the impact on the end outcome of that process. So the initiatives themselves that are being designed and the customer's engagement with it. If we've typically designed experiences with customers at the heart of them, and we're now balancing that with another equally important consideration, have we seen a detrimental impact to experience? How are customers responding to circular initiatives? That's an interesting one. (laughs) I think there have been positive and sort of negative outcomes of these types of products and services. Essentially, as Jacob mentioned earlier, we're asking the customer to be part of the circular value chain. And we're asking them to help us keep products and materials in use for longer. So, you know, we are asking people to get their things repaired rather than just take it to the tip. We're asking people to return it back to companies, whether or not that's posting it or taking it somewhere, you know, asking people to rent things maybe rather than owning them. And I think what we're seeing is that that's, it's a little bit weird and people are struggling a little bit with that uncomfortability, that lack of familiarity with operating this way around products. People used to do this in the way that they bought and sold products in the past, but because of just the way that things have been designed in the last 20, 30 years, we have forgotten how to do these sorts of things, do these sorts of practices, such as refill, repair, you know, rent, daily sort of stuff. And I think just generally in terms of examples of companies that are doing this and what they're finding is that some are doing it and some aren't. Some of these incentives do work, 
some companies we work with, there's a company called Rapanui. They give people a voucher if they return an item for recycle. They make organic t-shirts, cotton t-shirts. And they find that works quite well with their customer base. Whereas we know other companies have tried return schemes in a similar way and are getting no traction. And so it's really interesting to see it's a bit scattered, I'd say. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. Has there been a detrimental effect on customers? I don't think we should shy away from the fact that it is hard to get customers to engage with circular initiatives. And there is an element of absolutely, like we've stressed throughout this podcast, that you want to be trying to think about ways that you can design great experiences for your customers and that the circular economy is an opportunity to do that. But there are also going to be times when you need to use the stick a little bit. And that might involve simple things like driving down the price per unit of cereal in a supermarket to make that more appealing for customers to engage with. But I think, again, it comes back to that point of you have to understand your customers well to know whether that's going to be effective or not, right? For one customer base, sure, like lowering the price might be an effective way of doing that. But for another customer base, if you're thinking about a young mum that comes to the supermarket with three kids maybe the most effective way of engaging them is to have some sort of limited edition container that the kids love and that they're excited by. And maybe that's a more effective intervention for that group. So there are times when you're going to have to really push customers towards things and maybe that won't be a better experience, but where there is opportunities to improve that experience, then we should really look to do that. I think I went around in circles a little bit there, but I think there's some sort of good point in there somewhere. <laughs> I guess listening to to both of your responses there, I think this idea of detrimental impact, disappointment in life tends to come when expectations aren't met. And so I think what you were saying, Merrin, there about we sort of lost our way in being able to contribute as consumers to these models that might have been there in previous generations comes a little bit from our expectations of what we think that we want from a product or a service. And so it goes back to our earlier discussion about not just passing on the book of responsibility to the consumer. Actually, organizations need to adopt a responsibility for communicating and educating and bringing awareness to consumers to be able to bring them on that journey and actively designing interventions. Just being aware, actually, this will feel worse for our consumers because it's not what they expect. Okay, so how can we address that? How can we design for that? What are we going to do to build into our design to work around it? It feels like there's a link back to what we were just discussing earlier in the chat. No, absolutely. And yeah, so that comes to some of the theories that we found throughout this research was looking at things around consumption work. And that's actually something that we drew on a lot when developing a lot of the tools and materials just to understand what is the real effort and the work that is required by the consumer in a circular journey compared to a linear journey? And how do these compare and where are the key moments, key interventions that occur along the journey, along the experience that we need to be mindful of? Because, you know, there are going to be some moments of tension or moments that are not as easy or convenient as, say, a linear way of doing things. I mean, just to give you an example, like a real bugbear of mine is soft plastics recycling. Soft plastics are recyclable. They are very easy to recycle and they have a really great recycling efficiency, but they are not collected at curbside. They are something that you need to collect in a bag and then take to your nearest supermarket in order to make sure they go in a very particular place. 
And again, you have to remember how to do it. But organizations are saying, yeah, 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 our packaging is totally recyclable. And that is true, but it isn't being recycled curbside. And so there is this extra mental labor, physical labor that the consumer needs to enact in order to make it really circular. And so just being mindful of that, I think, is a really important step. Thanks, Marin. I'm just looking at time and it's quickly passed. So I'm going to try and attempt to wrap up what has been a really interesting discussion. So I guess, what do people need to be thinking about? Customers are important to the design of circular initiatives. That's an agreement I think we've come to, but they are not the only consideration. Organizations need to transition from a pure customer-centric mindset to being able to balance customer and circular, and that comes with a whole array of transformation challenges. And finally, organizations need to be aware of the new roles and behaviors customers will need to adopt, being really mindful of, of effort and work, like you were just saying, Merin, in order to adopt these circular initiatives and design for them intentionally. If this discussion has been of interest to you, as I mentioned at the top, we, Kairosis, have been working really closely with the University of Exeter to conduct research on this very topic. We'll be launching our design toolkit in April aimed at supporting organisations embed the customer in the design of circular initiatives. If you've got a circular design challenge and want to find out more, get in touch with us and we'll also be posting the links to the toolkit after the launch in April. Thank you for listening to our Simply Sustainability podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. For more information, please contact us at sustainability at clarisys.com. <laughs>